great, do great things, which it's God, so he will. So uh, I'm very excited about all that. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. And uh, if you were able to use a, a pledge card and you can give it a future date, if you were unable to give today, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, we'll actually be able to uh, count it. So we won't have a count this week, uh, but it looks like next week because uh, with a lot of the online stuff, it takes about uh, two weeks. So we'll have a, a count for you hopefully by mid-next week. So again, thank you. Amen. So uh, I'm going to jump into the sermon uh, this morning. And as many of you uh, know, I am a big fan uh, of movies. This is my minor. When I heard you could get a minor in film, I was shocked. I asked my counselor, are you sure? Twice. And she goes, absolutely. And I signed up on the spot. And that was that. So, but one of the movie styles that I very much enjoy are the, uh, the treasure hunt uh, style of films. You know, like the Indiana Jones uh, type movies or the Pirates of the Caribbean type movies. I don't know if I was a fan of National Treasure uh, it is what it is. You do what you can. Enjoy that. But, but those style of movies, <clears throat> see the characters in those movies, they're always, they set out on a journey and, and they're following maybe a map or, you know, a broken compass uh, if you're a Pirates of the Caribbean fan. And they're searching for some sort of treasure that's going to either change their lives or, or change the world forever. It's got to be dramatic. Otherwise, the story doesn't sell. Right? And, and so what... These types of movies, they always have, but what happens is it ends up refining the character uh, of the individuals, right? So maybe they're a little bit jagged, maybe they're a little, the journey that accompanies these movies. And I think they, these characters, they're refined, and, and I think a lot of it we can see in ourselves, right? You know, the journeys that we have in our lives, oftentimes we have to become who we need to be, in order, and I think it's very similar. And what I've noticed is all these stories uh, kind of have a similar theme. These type of movies, they all have a similar type of theme. And it's this idea of anything worth having in this, in this life requires sacrifice. They're going to find the treasure or whatever. There is going to be some sort of sacrifice that takes place in their lives in order for them to complete that task. And, you know, last week we talked about uh, Jesus, amen, and we talked about him on the cross, and Jesus chose to sacrifice his life over everything else. And, and I see that just like these movies. I, I think it's very similar in our life that anything worth having in this life requires sacrifice. And so my hope from today's lesson is we can have a deeper appreciation of, of not just what Jesus did, which, amen, it's, it's tremendous, it's wonderful, it's awesome, and, and I think it's very important. But also appreciate the importance of our personal sacrifice in our everyday life. And, and valuing that, that sacrifice that we make on a regular basis. So the title of my sermon this morning is Valuing Sacrifice. So I recently read an article uh, that the largest T-Rex has just been discovered in Canada. And I think there's a, a picture of that I have as well. And the T-Rex is named Scotty. It measured up to 19,500 pounds. That's a big boy. <clears throat> or girl, I don't know. I didn't get pull A bit more, something stood out to me. Because the headline reads, largest T-Rex just discovered in, in Canada. Right? It says the words, just discovered. And so you think, wow, it's just been discovered. That was a little bit misleading. Actually, 
this dinosaur was discovered back in 1991. But the sandstone that encased the bones took more than two decades to remove. So they had discovered the dinosaur, but for two decades, they really didn't know what they had. And they wanted to make sure they proceeded with caution so they didn't ruin what they had. And it's believed about 65% of the dinosaur bones are, are compiled together. And it's on, uh, it's on display in Canada. So after the sandstone was removed, they, they could start to construct the dinosaur and, and, and truly see the gem that they had before them. It took two decades. We just highlighted the high school ministry. We had the eighth grader stand up. You weren't born yet. That's what they found. Some of the college students, you weren't born either. It took two decades to uncover these bones. They knew it was extremely valuable. They knew there was going to be a lot they were going to learn, but they knew they needed to be patient to fully realize what they had before them. See, think about this for a moment. What would have happened if they would have tried to rush this process? This is the largest dinosaur bones will be here. Either bones would have cracked, uh, things would have fell apart, you wouldn't have had 65%, that's for sure, and you probably wouldn't have a display, and there would have been a lot of people who didn't get paid because they rushed the process. And I think if we start to understand this idea on a, a deeper level, you know, I think one of the things that I've noticed is that we, by nature, are very impatient people. We want to skip over the difficult parts of life and just enjoy the ending. Like I'm sure many of the college graduates would have really liked skipping over that whole going to school part and, and just been given the degree. But then you think back at your school and go, oh, I met some people here. Hey, I met God here. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of grateful I went to school, just for that God reason, nothing else. But, but I, I'm grateful for the journey. You know, what I've realized is we're not fans of having our character refined. We're not fans of having to transform to who we need to be to fit in God's way. We'll transform in the ways we want to transform. Maybe we've got our one-month kick of going to the gym, you get what I'm saying? Like, that's, we get real excited about that. But, but we oftentimes don't, certainly don't relish the idea of having to sacrifice things from our own life to help other people. We'll do it, but we don't necessarily get up and, and leap out of our chairs to do it. But I think if we can start to understand on a deeper level, I think we'd be amazed at how much clearer our, and, and, and more deeper our relationship with God can be is if we, if we can put these things in the priority spot of our lives. Allowing sacrifice to be something we run towards and cherish because of what it can do for our relationship with God, what it can do for our relationship with each other. And so what I want to do today, I want to look at a section uh, from the book of Hebrews and, and discuss two uh, kind of concepts from this short text. And I love the book of Hebrews. I, in fact, every time uh, I share about the book of Hebrews, I make this same point 
uh, probably the biggest impact I've, I have, I've ever had in my personal quiet time was when I made a decision one time to sit down and read the he book of Hebrews uh, in one reading, just start to finish the whole thing. And it totally transformed uh, the way I saw Jesus, that's for sure, uh, the way I understood a lot of different things. And I, and I felt like my relationship with God was better just from that one sitting. And so that's, Book of Hebrews is my favorite. And so I, I, every time I, I talk about the Book of Hebrews, I like to throw that caveat out there. I encourage you to sit down and try to read it in one sitting. If you've got the time, it, it's definitely wonderful. But we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 today. And we're going to start in verse 11. And Hebrews 9, 11 reads, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of the, uh, this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremoniously unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse over consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. So this, this imagery of sacrifice we see in verse 12 comes from the rituals described in Leviticus. I want to go down that rabbit hole. But Jesus is essentially taking the place of the animal sacrifice. And he's doing this because he's becoming the more perfect sacrifice. If not for Jesus, we'd have to still regularly offer sacrifices up. For us, we have the one sacrifice that covers over everything. And for that, we are grateful. And what happens in this moment, because Jesus does that, is each and every one of us who's made Jesus Lord have been set free. We've been set free. And so this is the first concept I want to look today. Point number one, call it what you want. We have been set free. Again, those of you who have been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins have been set free from sin and are no longer tied to it. That's awesome. <laughs> Amen. We are free to be who God is calling us to be. Living freely in complete reverence to God in all that he has done for us. You know, the first image that comes to my mind when I hear this is like when, at least for my children, when they first learn to walk. It's, it's this idea of all of a sudden they feel like they've been set free and they are gone. They're, and I think our kids skipped over the walking stage and went straight to the running stage. Because it's, it's like we look, there they are, we turn around, and they are not there anymore. And maybe your kids have done the same thing when they crawled. Uh, they just, you're there, and then, where are you going? But they just want to go. They just want to run. They can't help but explore. It was their first taste of freedom, and they just couldn't get enough of it. And still, to this day, they can't get enough of it. And when we made the decision to make Jesus Lord of our lives, we were also set free. We were set free to be who God has called us to be. So my question to you this morning is, what are you doing with your freedom. You've been set free. The world is your oyster, whatever saying that is. But what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your freedom? 
When I see Jesus heal people in the Bible, they usually have one of two responses to their newfound freedom. First, one, the first response is they jump for joy. And then they can't stop praising God. They, they just, they're so dumbfounded. I, I never thought this would happen. I have to praise God. I, I can't, and, and in one case, they couldn't let go of Jesus. Or they couldn't let go of Peter and John. They just, this was too wonderful to walk away from. You know, that was the first response. The second response we see is a self-focused reaction to their healing. You know, one person in John chapter 5 actually just goes back to his old life, the man who was healed at the pool, and or something worse will happen to you. This guy's been sick, injured, lame, 38 years. Jesus comes up, 38 years this man's been lame, he heals him. First thing the guy does is he goes back to his life of sin. Because he, he saw this newfound freedom as an opportunity to do what he wants. You know, nine out of the ten lepers that were healed didn't even bother to say thank you. They just wanted to go back and tell people, hey, I'm better now. Hey, I've been set free. We can do what we want to do. I'm back. You can let me into the town now. And only one of them had the, the, the mindset to go back to Jesus and, and say thank you. And even Jesus was shocked by this. He's like, hey, where, where are the other nine? Didn't, weren't all ten of you healed? Like, yeah, but, but I, came, I was the only one that came back. And so we've got to ask ourselves this morning, we've been set free, what are we doing with our freedom? And I think when we have a healthy understanding that Jesus is the one who set us free, you use that freedom to glorify him. When you understand who it is that healed you, you run back to him, you jump for joy with him, you cannot let him go because of all the things he has done for you. And I feel like it should just become second nature to give glory to God. You know, a huge problem that we can run, but not glorifying God. We use our freedom to live in these gray areas. They're borderline at best. And what starts to happen is we can grow attached to the things that we probably should be running away from. Like if we argued over if this is a sin or not, you may win the argument, but that doesn't mean it's beneficial to you. You know, I look at it in a way like Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages begin to create an attachment to their captors, even to the point of siding with them over the authorities. And I think when we live in that gray area for too long, we start to develop a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome, and we just get a little bit too attached to that, even so much so that we choose that over a godly lifestyle. Because this is comfortable for us. This is the lifestyle we know and feel safe with. And I think there's plenty of examples in the Bibles with situations like this that occurred. First one that came to mind is the rich young ruler. He chose wealth over a complete commitment to God. The wealth itself wasn't wrong. It was the fact that he was willing to put this before God. I think of another situation with a man who was choosing to wait for his father to die instead of following Jesus immediately. So Jesus' father was not the issue. The issue was putting anything, anything before Jesus and following him. And I think we have a lot of things in our lives that aren't necessarily bad. 
but when they start to come before Jesus, they are bad and they are killing you. And you may not realize it because it's a slow, painful death, but these are the things that are pulling you away and stealing your righteousness. And, and maybe you're in this position today. Maybe you have something holding your heart when you should be giving it to Jesus. Maybe you've been interested in studying the Bible and seeing what Jesus is calling for you, but you just, there's always something that gets in the way. What excuses are we holding on to that seem more important than walking with God? Because their answer is, there shouldn't be any. But we get in this, this Stockholm Syndrome type place where we get attached to things that we shouldn't be attached to. And, and we start to justify it in our own minds and think it's right. You know, one, uh, I think about two years ago, we, we do this regularly, but about two years ago with the college students, we had this uh, defend your faith type midweek. And what everybody had to do is they had to all go against me in defending their faith. And they all had to choose the side of uh, righteousness. And they had to argue with me who played kind of devil's advocate. Two years ago, a long time ago. But it was because I could take the scriptures. You've been around 30 plus years. You can do this. You take the scriptures and you make them say whatever you want to say to fit your argument. And I got really, probably too good at that, honestly. But that's, we can do this, especially those who've been around for a long time. We can take a scripture or take an argument and sway it to fit our own agenda and then we feel justified living in our gray area. When we know the path of righteousness is getting out of our comfort zone and going and proclaiming God. And I think we've got to be very careful. We're not looking for justification to live in our gray area. We have been set free. So go. Get out of the jail cell. Drop the chains and run. And run towards what God is doing for you. Don't wait any longer. The second concept I want to look back at, we're going to look at Hebrews 9. We'll read it in verse 14 again. Hebrews 9, 14. <laughs> How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? So we have been set free so that we may serve the living God. So point number two, we have been set free so we can sacrifice. Willing to do whatever it takes to love them, help them, make them happy, and make sure they're taken care of. And we'll do it without being asked because we care about them. We'll do it at personal expense to ourselves because why? We care about these individuals. Here's another fun story for you from Russia. <clears throat> One of the things uh, that Russian men enjoy doing is spending time in a place called a banya. The banya is very similar to like uh, a steam room, okay? And usually the process is you enter this, uh, this wooden room and it, it's very hot, like 80 to 90 degrees Celsius, which if you can't do that math, it's like 175, 190 degrees. It's hot. Right? And so you go into this room, and, and, you, and they've got benches, and you, and you sit for a few minutes. And, and then afterwards, you, you all walk out, and you jump either to a, a cold pool or just some sort of cold body of water kind of shocks your system uh, back into place. And then you take a break for a little bit, uh, maybe some snacks, and, and then you do it again. 
And you do it probably around five times. It, it takes a couple hours. You don't, you don't go back to back because it, it, it wears you down a little bit. And the idea behind this process is to clear the toxins from your, bonus, uh, from your body and, and kind of help you relax. And, and honestly, it's a lot of fun. Just the whole 80 to 90 degrees Celsius kind of throws you off. So each time I go, uh, I feel like there's a sense of pride, at least on my part, being from Texas, that I've got to represent the entire state when I go into a hot room. Because the perception of Texas, and especially in Russia, is it's like the hottest place in the world. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't want to look like a punk walking in there and being the first one out. And so literally, I have this mindset. When I go into the room, I will represent the entire state of Texas, and I will not be the first one out of the room. In fact, they'll ask me. Seriously, they'll go, hey, is this hot? And I'm like, this is winter in Texas. You know, just, <laughs> just every time, winter in Texas. <laughs> so the last time I went to Russia, we went to a different spot than we usually go to. And this time, the, uh, usually it's kind of privatized, but this time it was some, with some of the locals. And the locals saw uh, some younger men, and they wanted to do something special for the younger men. And so what that means is, is they want to make the room extremely hot. So it's, you know, 175, 195 already. And so the room was over 120 Celsius, which if you can do that math, that's 250 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like preheating your oven. That's what that is. And so this is, and they were really excited about this. I was like, why? What's wrong with you? And so, but, you know, I just kept thinking, okay, Texas winter, amen. So we struggling. I'm like, I am not going to last. Pride, you know, forget about it. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out. And so at one point I said, okay, I've got about 30 more seconds. I may be able to do it. And so I lift up my foot off the ground, and water is pouring off my foot. Just that's it. The water's literally at this point just coming out of my body. I don't, can't stop it, right? And so I'm like, okay, I got 10 seconds left. That's it. Can't do it. And so I take a deep breath. I look up all the men. They get up and they leave. And so I was the last one in the room. I was out. I was about to tap out, guys. I, I couldn't do this. But they all get up and leave. And as I walk down the stairs, like so they, we walk up. So I'm walking down the stairs and I have like three older Russian men giving me the nod of approval. Like I've now been accepted in their culture because I have survived the oven, essentially. And, and so I, I felt like this is, this is wonderful. And all the, the brothers that were with us as well, like, wow. Was that hot? I was like, more like Texas summer. More like <laughs> Texas summer. But inside, I'm absolutely dying. And what I realized is you, some of you are looking at me like, this kid's crazy. That's right. <laughs> I am. But it's like, these are the things that we're willing to do for the people we care about. I trust the brothers there. I'm willing to sacrifice this. Why? These, these are my brothers. Of course I want to find ways to spend time with them. I wouldn't do that here at all. I'd want that anywhere else. But these are my brothers. Of course I'll sacrifice for them. And I, and I got to thinking about this question. When it comes to loving your brothers and sisters, does your love have limits? Does your love for your family have limits. I look at Jesus because that's where you're supposed to look. And he did a lot of things that proved his love had no limits. Had no limits. Willing to give up everything. Willing to stay on the cross because he had no limits. And he did it specifically for us. You know, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of second generation Jewish Christians. 
that had started to grow tired of Christianity. They just wanted to go back to their own culture, back to their, the old ways of Judaism, and they just wanted to run. And you know, something that I find very interesting about these Christians is they were more focused on their feelings than the effect it would have on the body and the church in that area. Well, this is, I just, I'm not comfortable with this, so I'm going to go. It's like, well, what about your family? What about your brothers and sisters? You know, I think, when I think of people uh, that have a heart to sacrifice for their family, I've got some names that come to mind, and I'm sure I'm going to miss a few. I think about uh, the AV crew. I think about Lucas and Hector, and off of you are awake, and they're setting up, doing some big things, and they're usually the last to leave the room doing big things. And we're, we're looking for help. If you would like to serve, we need help. Because um, these guys are doing a great job, but they like their sleep too, amen. So, but they're, they're amazing brothers and they're doing big things. I think of the amazing servants who help uh, back in Kids Kingdom, Tommy and Debbie Watson, Savannah Cryer, and many more. And they need help. They need help serving. I know a lot of you have done that and great. And other people, there's opportunities to serve if you're looking. But these people, they just, they want to sacrifice because they want to make God great. They want to make the kingdom great, and because of how much they love you. That's it. There's no hidden motive there. They just love you. And I, I'm blown away by this heart. And I think for us, we've got to examine our hearts and go, okay, what are we, what are we doing to help our brothers and sisters? Maybe it's not something on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's got to be something during the week, whatever. But what is on your heart to help your family? You know, many of you serve, and I'm very grateful for you. And I, I feel very, uh, very honored and, and, and just very humbled to be able to part of a group that has such great servants. And I think we've got to go, okay, what is God calling us to do in our lives? How can we make God's kingdom great? And I, the challenge is for us not to just think about that on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, but it's every day. Every day. How can we show the gift of serving to the people in our lives, whether at school, at work, at the grocery store? How can we show God and, and his love of serving when we're, we're not going to do it? And so what I want to do as I, I get ready to close here is I just want to give us two practicals, two things for us to do, two things that we can really hold on to as we think about, okay, what can I do to grow, be better and, and grow in these areas of my life? So number one is I think we've got to create opportunities to engage. You know, every Wednesday night after our campus midweek, the men go out to dinner. No girls allowed, right? We go out. Somewhere fun, but it's bonding. It's, it's time of connection. Bring your friends. Those who, the, the friends that come out to our midweeks on Wednesday night, bring them out. It's an opportunity to just be together because you know what? Guys like to eat. It's that easy. People like to eat. There's no science there. We just, we figured it out. And instead of waiting around and hoping Things were going to naturally happen. Oh, maybe they'll hang out. No, we had to create opportunities for that to happen. So we just said, hey, every Wednesday night, we're going to do this. And it's been great. You know, I think we look at our own lives, and I guarantee you there are many people in this room who wish they had more friends or wish they had deeper relationships. Well, then do something. <laughs> I, think it's, I think so often we're just waiting for something to, to be put before us or I'll do it if it comes up. No, just do something. Create an opportunity to engage with your community, with your brothers and sisters, with whomever. Don't wait around for it. Just do something and then let God take care of the rest. And I think what you'll see is there's so many people who are looking for friends. They're just looking to feel loved because they don't feel it at home. 
They don't feel it at work, and they're looking for it somewhere. So let's bring God to the community. And so I, I think, number one, we just got to create opportunities to engage. I think the separate, second thing is we have to remember why we're making this effort. When the Hebrew writer was trying to win back the Christians that were going to leave, what did he do? He just reminded people about Jesus. He just kept pointing them back to how Jesus was better than anything else they were chasing. He was better than this high priest Melchizedek who was a great guy but was nowhere near him. He was better than all the heavenly angels combined, and that was always going to be the case because Jesus was always going to be supreme. And I think when we're trying to figure out why am I making this effort, oh, it's because of Jesus. Because of how much he's done for us, how much he's loved us, how much he's sacrificed for us. That's why we do what we do. That's why we wake up early on Sunday mornings, early-ish. You know, that, that's why. It's for Jesus. That's why we stay and for the family that he has provided for us. You know, I think back to a story about the T-Rex from the beginning. Think about what would have happened if they would have given up and stopped, I guess, cleaning it early. They would have, they would have just, they want to rush the process, excuse me. Think about what happens if they want to rush the process. Or think about if they forgot why they were doing what they were doing. It wouldn't have been that discovery. It would have been a cool little article, pieces of a T-Rex found, and then that would have been a footnote. But they had a, they had a vision. They had something they were working towards. They wanted to discover. This was, their, this was their passion. And this is just finding dinosaurs, dead animals that don't exist anymore. Think about how much greater our mission is for Jesus. Think about how much more we have with a God who loves us and still loves us and is still alive and active today. We have something we're working towards. Remember why we're doing what we are doing. You know, at this time, we're about to take up uh, communion. You know, God has done so much for each and every one of us, and I'm grateful for it. And I think the idea then is we have to remember that on a regular basis. We have to remember what God has done for us. We have to remember why we do the things we are doing, and, and then watch what happens as God creates opportunities for each and every one of us. So at this time, we're going to go to God in prayer, and then the trays will be passed. Truly blessed to have this opportunity each and every Sunday to come together and worship you. God, first we want to pray for the sacrifice we gave, special missions. God, we want to pray that uh, it's pleasing to you, God, and pray that we can continue to do amazing things uh, for your kingdom, God, in Texas and around the, around the world. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity for it. We're also so thankful for the opportunity to serve your son. God, so thankful to give our lives to him, to be able to follow his example, as how he valued sacrifice over everything else, God. And we pray that we can have that heart. God, we pray that we can have that heart so we can show the people in our lives and the people we have yet to meet how much love you have for them and how much love you have for this entire world. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to give you everything. We love you, Carlos, in your son's name. Amen.